America's got money problems, inflation, out-of-control debt and spending, and it's only getting worse. But there's hope. Solving America's money problems, one hour at a time. It's time for Good Money with Tho Bishop. Good morning. This is Good Money with Tho Bishop. I am the content manager for the Mises Institute, M-I-S-E-S dot org. It's where you can find more information uh, like you will find on this show. Purpose of the Mises Institute is to uh, better inform you from a uh, Austrian economic perspective so you can better navigate the crazy world that we live in today, a world of an overly politicized economy, a world dealing with the consequences of overly politicized money that makes money not so good. And of course, a, a big factor within money is the banking system attached to it. A lot of the money creation comes out of the banking system. The banking system is how we interact with money and much, much of our, our day-to-day lives in, in such a variety of ways. And what we've seen is that Money and banking have become really the top tools of Washington to manage, regulate, and surveillance on our day-to-day lives. We've seen this this escalation over time, starting with uh, legislation and rules and regulations that at one point might have seen benign. Um, Some might have even seen them as common sense responses to crises. For example, after 9-11 and the Patriot Act and everything baked into that, it changed the relationship that banks have with customers uh, with increased dynamics to uh, know your customer laws. Uh, Some of these rules have been put in place in response to uh, drug crime some of these have been used, you know, that this cover of illegal activity uh, has been used to, to justify. And with, with, with many um, politicians and, and rules writings agents that may not have had in mind the current dynamics of today, uh, but we've seen a, a gradual buildup of the way that the state has recognized that controlling the financial apparatus has direct consequences for controlling us. It has become kind of the tip of the spear in foreign policy dynamics, starting with a response to 9-11, going after uh, entities, individuals that financed Al-Qaeda, which who could oppose that because obviously these people were bad, uh, continued with uh, crackdowns on North Korea, on Iran, and who could argue with this because these actors are clearly bad, uh, seeing it with the escalation in response to Russia's invasion with Ukraine, and who could have a problem with that because Russia is obviously engaging in aggression there. Well, we're seeing on the geopolitical scale countries moving away from the dollar out of fears that disagreements with Washington could lead to similar actions uh, being taken there. This has become an increasingly hot topic within 
um, you know, not just the China-U.S. tensions, but uh, with African countries, with South American countries, um, with other nations that have historically had good relations with the U.S. but are concerned about the consequences to sovereignty. But we've also seen this lens be applied at home uh, with the way that banks have been used uh, to track down um, individuals that were simply in Washington during January 6th, even those that did not uh, breach the walls of the Capitol there. We've seen it with attempts to target uh, gun customers, tracking their purchases. We've seen it with um, moves made against certain uh, political commentators that have had views that people in power do not like. And all this is a very troubling trend. And again, the direct byproduct of the politicalization of our financial system. Well, one dynamic that arose in recent years to try to create an alternative to this politicalization of money has been the cryptosphere. And what we've seen in recent years has been this same sort of effect, this escalation going after the crypto industry. We saw some very prominent cases this week with uh, exchanges such as Binance and Coinbase uh, coming under very severe scrutiny from the SEC. Uh, Coinbase, uh, you know, one of the leading crypto exchanges for normal individuals interested in adding Bitcoin as part of their portfolio. Um, some seeing it as a hedge against inflation. Um, some of those analysis we can is, is a different question in its own right. Um, but we have now a SEC uh, that has sharpened its knives for an industry that not that long ago was seen as a hotspot for innovation in the fintech world and, and really the tech world more broadly. Um, for a couple months now, we've seen the escalation of what some have called Operation Choke Point 2. Choke Point 1 was an Obama-era uh, move to debank online gambling, which at the time was not nearly as mainstream as it has become today, though in Florida we still have um, some legal hurdles there. Many lawyers making bankable hours um, trying to figure out dynamics involving um, uh, gambling treaties with the Seminole tribes and constitutional amendments on uh, restricting gambling expansion within the state. But in most of the country, or many states in the country, um, gambling on, for example, sports has become so mainstream that some of our leading sports leagues that spent decades railing against it now have multiple uh, gambling partners. But during the Obama administration, all these, the, the access to traditional American banking systems were cut off through various uh, means. Um, online poker players saw their entire uh, bank holdings you know, frozen for them. And so that same dynamic, that same sort of playbook has been increasingly used within the crypto space uh, with exchanges undergoing increased scrutiny. Um, uh, products such as Custodia Bank, which was a uh, Wyoming-based bank intending to be a safe haven in a world of volatility by having full reserve banking, um, which is 
does not have the same risk as a traditional bank in terms of banks lending out customer deposits and things like that, the way that a traditional bank operates. The Biden administration has uh, held up attempts for chartering there at the federal level. Uh, Caitlin Long, a friend of the Mises Institute, has uh, been taking on that battle there. And all of this, whether you're interested in crypto or not, whether you see it as a viable investment or not, all of this should be alarming because, again, it is a demonstration of increased aggressiveness on the part of federal authorities to restrain the options that American customers have. Now, Florida, uh, with uh, some of the bills signed by Governor DeSantis, um, actions taken by the state legislature, there has been attempts within the state to push back on things like central bank digital currencies, to create a stronger framework within the state to attract crypto business. Miami being one of the largest hubs right now for the crypto Bitcoin industry. Uh, this is a, a dynamic that is hits here at home within the Sunshine State. Um, but again, I, th I think within this time of financial uncertainty, of kind of growing unease that I think most of us are feeling, that the danger is that it is, there are powerful individuals in Washington that see alternative investments outside of the preferred choices of federal regulators. That is what they're trying to cut off. And so our guest at the other side of the break today is gonna to be Mr. Jeremy Kaufman, who is the CEO of Library, has a great uh, online streaming platform, um, uh, platform, Odyssey, where we talk about his dealings with the SEC and the larger consequences to the crypto industry. Stay tuned. This is Good Money here on Money Talk 1010 on this Thursday morning. This is Tho Bishop. I am the content manager at the Mises Institute, and we have a special deal at the Mises Institute for Good Money listeners. If you go to Mises.org, that's M-I-S-E-S.org slash good, we've got a special $5 bundle, a special for Good Money listeners. You'll get two great books, two uh, short, pithy, important reads um, to better inform you or a, uh, a student, a neighbor, a friend, um, trying to help booster their, uh, their economic literacy. One of those is How to Think About the Economy by uh, Oklahoma State Professor Per Byland, a great primer and proper economic thinking. The other one is one of my favorite books, uh, What Has Government Done to Our Money? by Murray Rothbard, which goes in the history of the dollar, uh, the history of inflation in the United States, the way the Fed works and things like that. You can get both to your door for, uh, at Mises.org slash good. And if you use promo code good money, uh, one word, good money, uh, shipping and handling is included. So $5, two books, great for you, great to hand out. Uh, find that at Mises.org slash good. Someone who understands exactly what government has done to our money is our guest for today. And it's uh, Jeremy Kaufman, who is CEO of uh, Library, uh, has a great streaming platform, Odyssey, uh, for uh, content creators out there trying to avoid the censorship of YouTube and some of the ridiculousness of big tech. Uh, and someone who has been a, a very heroic figure in standing up against the increased escalation uh, and, and insanity, really, um, that we've seen from the SEC, uh, which has become increasingly relevant as time 
has gone on and definitely in the news this week with the actions taken against Binance, Coinbase, and a variety of other uh, crypto exchanges. So Jeremy, thank you for joining us this morning. This morning. Uh, thank you for having, uh, having me on. That was a very uh, flattering and, and, of course, entirely true introduction. It's great to be here, although it is, it is for unfortunate reasons. So I guess um, I'll, I'll quickly just I'll give a really short story of what happened with my um, company. Um, we created a technology that, that wants to do to publishing online uh, what, what Bitcoin does to money. What that means, it puts you back in control. That's what's so special about blockchain technology. It, it changes the rules and it says you're in control not the Google, the Facebook, the big tech uh, company with the, with the San Francisco values, you're going to be back in, in control. Uh, we were very honest about uh, everything uh, we were doing. We never had anyone uh, go to the federal government and say, you know, we, we were defrauded, we were cheated in any way. So the government, the state chose to investigate this uh, on their own as a violation of securities law. That gets quite complex to talk about, but there was no victim uh, in this case. And we tried very hard to comply with the law literally begging the government saying, hey, could you, we'll change what we're doing. Can you give us any rules as to how to operate? Not once uh, did they answer a single sentence of request from us. Uh, and instead what they did is they dragged out a case uh, for six, uh, for five years, um, uh, uh, costing us several million dollars and eventually effectively driving us out of business um, as, a, as a corporate entity. Uh, and uh, so that was my, my business dealing with them. So they've been, in my personal experience, they were clearly hostile to cryptocurrency. Like I think people need to throw away this idea that like there's any sincerity on their side. I mean, there was absolutely none in my personal dealings with, with them. There's no willingness whatsoever that there's any way to comply. They're lying, you know, when they say that effectively. Um, and so the Coinbase and, and the Binance actions should absolutely be viewed under this lens. That's what the fundamental thing that's going on. Right. And that's something that, you know, there, there is sort of of a, a reputation, a trope out there that, uh, you know, uh, uh, tech bros, uh, such as yourself. I don't know if you self-identify as a tech bro or not, but you know, oh, these tech bros, they, 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 they openly flaunt the rules. They're openly, uh, they, they, they are openly hostile to the rules. They, they, they go out of their way to kind of thumb their nose. And while, you know, you, you might have a, a little bit of, of that, your, uh, your campaign videos during your run for Senate, uh, in New Hampshire, or, or one of the, the highlights of, uh, campaign content during the 2022 cycle there, um, but the main issue here, though, is that the SEC is at, was was trying to pretend that there were rules that you were not following while not providing the rules of the game. And this is something that I know has come up with with people like Caitlin Long with Custodia Bank. This is, seems to be a, a common thread here that there is not a dynamic where they're asking um, firms like yours to to simply stay within sort of well understood understood. Uh, guardrails that they're that they, they are intentionally hiding what needs to be done because ultimately at the end of the day their goal is not to have a crypto industry that is under some sort of you know providing customer protections or or you know trying to stop you know the, the next Sam Bankman Freed or something like that who you know was was someone in the tech industry that had the closest political ties um, within the industry, but rather they are intentionally making it so that people like yourself cannot innovate, cannot bring forth products uh, uh, to, to cons uh, consumers. And with the continual expansion of this, trying to deprive Americans um, of, of any opportunities of having exposure into crypto assets as an alternative to the, the things that they want you to buy. That's, that's completely correct. 
I mean, it's really uh, quite a, a Kafkaesque uh, kind of situation. I mean, you know, there's no question that someone like Brian Armstrong running Coinbase is trying to comply and would comply if he could. Um, same with us and my company. And effectively, what it works like this. You have a law that's written in the 1930s. Right. Like, so imagine you had laws regulating horses and then someone invents the car and you're scratching your head trying to figure out how these rules written for horses apply to uh, a car. Now, some might be straightforward, uh, but some are going to be very confusing. And so you could have a million different interpretations. And so as an entrepreneur, well, I don't know what this means. Um, you hire lawyers. The job of a lawyer is to simulate judges. That's actually the job of counsel is to simulate and correctly predict what the American court system will, will produce as an outcome. So you go around, you hire very, very expensive lawyers. A lot of times these lawyers are ex-regulators uh, themselves. Um, that's how they get the job because they'll be better simulators if they've done the jobs. That's why you have this whole revolving door between regulators and private industry. Um, and then they're supposed to predict what the courts do. Um, now, in this case, what the SEC is doing is they're saying, well, the rule, this rule about horses, it's completely clear how it applies to cars. How could you for a second say that it's unclear? And then what they do in every single instance is say the interpretation of every company is incorrect. They won't tell you there's a correct interpretation. It exists. They can't tell you what it is, but it's out there. And every interpretation that every single company has made is incorrect despite a, a wide sea of different interpretations of what can and can't be done. So everything everyone has done is wrong. There is a way to do it right. We can't give you an example of a company doing it right, but we promise that it exists. And that's, that's what they go around saying. Uh, it's just insane. Well, and and what's, what's fascinating too is that when you consider within this, this broader, we, we, we take a, a step back at the global economy, you know, what, what it's doing is that it's, it is pushing innovation into other economies that are recognizing opportunities here. Um, the president of El Salvador um, has has you know made some enemies with the IMF and some other forces um, with with some of his approaches that he's taken with with very strong state endorsement of Bitcoin in particular. We've seen China actually go from um, you know one of the strongest anti crypto uh, uh, marketplaces out there to to Hong Kong now reopening, trying to attract investment here. And so, you know, even at this time where there is, it's clear that there is, is economic weakness here within the United States. There's a lot of, of instability within a variety of, of institutions. We're seeing the, the, the consequences of low interest rates and, and uh, you know, the, the, those dynamics unraveling with the actions the Fed has taken that, you know, th this is not simply eliminating crypto right once once a technology exists once it has been been put forward and you have industries and and entrepreneurs like yourself recognizing what can be done um you know even if there was an argument for putting the genie back in the bottle which is as you very strongly would, would oppose to but like that's that is not the the dynamic there they they, they are offshoring this this stuff as well instead punishing americans um both both on the consumer side and the innovation side and can, can you can you talk about a little bit uh, a little uh, I know that you know Gary Ginsler has been um, you know uh, uh, is is a figure here whose whose own kind of hypocrisy is is interesting I know for for a while he was teaching uh, at at one of the Ivy League universities about crypto and things like this and and he's been kind of one of the the big villains um, within this story and that's another dynamic to this is that the, the regime uncertainty here with with regulators saying one thing and then it dramatically changing uh, uh with with different leaders there um you know do you, what, what are your thoughts what, what from from your experience um 
you know, what, what, how, how has, how has the changes in different um, SEC heads impacted the way that you guys have been, been trying to, to navigate this? And, and again, you've, you've already said that these are not good faith actors. Um, you know, it, is, is there any positive outlining? Is, is, there, is there anything that, um, you know, might open up the door for some meaningful pivot in this going forward? So I think Gensler has been, is worse than his, his predecessor and, and is particularly bad, uh, sort of the quintessential form of, um, you know, the sort of uh, snaky lizard, uh, you know, regulator. Um, but I don't think that the problem is specific to him. I think the problem existed before him, and I think that the problem would would exist absent him. And so I think as fun as it is to build him up as a, as a demon, and it is important that we have fun. I don't think the problem would go away um, simply if he, uh, he went away. Um, However, uh, something else that I think is more fun um, is optimism. It's more fun to be optimistic than to be pessimistic. Uh, So let's talk about, um, and you you expressed um, one reason to be optimistic already, which is uh, we have jurisdictions in which we are seeing signs of, of, of friendliness to, to cryptocurrency. And I do think, well, um, it, would, it will slow things down to have such large jurisdictions like the United States being hostile to it. It is true that the United States, it's, it's less of a unipolar world uh, than it was in the past. And it's not even a, a bipolar world anymore. We're moving towards a multipolar uh, world. Um, and so the, the United States, um, I do not think, will get its way here. Uh, and even in the United States and China agreeing, I don't think will be sufficient to produce worldwide um, prohibitions on 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 cryptocurrency. So so the fact that we will see some jurisdictions be friendly to it is a huge reason to be optimistic. These are digital technologies. So as long as um, we don't see that sort of worldwide regulatory regime, then um, I, there's there's a lot of reason to be hope from from that um, uh, alone. Um, the other big reason to be hopeful, in my opinion, is that. These technologies fundamentally um, were something that were going to be threatening to a lot of states and a lot of governments if they were capable of doing um, what they're supposed to be capable of doing. And my interest in Bitcoin actually um, wasn't originally around sound money specifically um, and ending the Fed and all these problems with our monetary system. Although I think, let me be clear, those are all real problems. But what actually motivated me personally was a thing called Operation Chokepoint, um, which happened under the uh, Obama administration, where the Department of Justice uh, basically put pressure on the credit card companies, and there's really only two of them, to stop doing business with a bunch of activities that the government didn't like. And this included a bunch of firearms manufacturers, things like this in this space. The credit card companies stopped doing business, and they were effectively put out of business uh, by the government, not through even the passing of a bill, uh, but by uh, weaponization of um, uh, and certainly something we've seen you're kind of something we've seen plenty more of in the last decade. Um, but, but this was what got me really into cryptocurrency. This was like 2013, 2014, and Bitcoin was coming out at the same time. And I saw, I was like, we can have digital cash. We can have um, the ability to move value around that can have the properties of cash, which means that there won't, you know, the government doesn't have someone to call. The government can't call someone to seize your cash, right? And that's that's why this technology. Um, you know, is needed or that's the, where the value is coming from. And so I think like, we'll have to see how this plays out. I think it's, I'm not, I think entrepreneurs in the cryptocurrency space need to be thinking more this way um, and less about, Hey, we're going to get the regulators to agree with us and be thinking more about how, how do we build this stuff in a way um, uh, that's going to you know work regardless? Cause that's the point. 
Um, and government tends to have a very sour grapes attitude towards regulation, by the way. Um, they tend to have the attitude because it, it, it looks weak for a government to um, want to be able to do something and can't. So if something can't be regulated, the government tends to change its opinion to the fact that it didn't want to regulate it in the first place is something I think you see play out. And so if we see the cryptocurrency hitting the right properties, I think it, you know, that, that it could play out that way. And that would be the, the optimistic uh, take. Uh, absolutely. And I think, you know, I've seen this a little bit, I think, in, in certain areas of of the crypto world is that people get so excited about the the potential of it that there there, there are some, I think, may have had a, a, a overly naive view on exactly what it would mean for a project like Bitcoin, um, you know, like some of these others. You know, as, as soon as you get that traction, we, we've seen that the history of uh, you know, but whether it was the challenge that gold placed on, you know, Federal Reserve notes, where we, we've seen um, different challenges to, uh, uh, you know, Wall Street banks and the like. As soon as you you get on the radar of powerful forces with the recognition that you have a technology or you, you're providing a service that undermines a key part of what keeps the, the gravy train going. Um, you're going to get that sort of scrutiny. This this attack, in many ways, is a sign of the the strength that the crypto industry has come from. Where you know, I, I was up at the, the House Financial Services Committee um, in 2011 and 2012, and everyone there had a very sort of, of joking dismissal view of crypto. Of crypto now, it is no longer a, a dismissal, a joking view. It is a, a recognition that is a threat, and so that that is you know, getting getting the eye of Sauron on you. Um, is, is a sign of, of strength there, um, even though this is some of the consequences that come with that. Yeah, I think I, I think the biggest thing that the the crypto to for any uh, for any big uh, cryptocurrency industry players out there listening, I mean, I think the big things that uh, the 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 sort of space needs to be taking in is that that one that um, there, that we might not we might not win the regulatory battle certainly certainly it should be fought but we shouldn't be expecting or counting on it or feel that it's necessary uh, to be winning that battle and we've got to drop a little bit of the idealism i think a lot of the people who are attracted to the cryptocurrency space are tend to be pretty bright and they need to be better at understanding how we build these technologies and and bring them to the masses and the test for me that i i think the sort of the hypothetical that I encourage, like we all need to be thinking about is, you know, how do we solve the Canadian truckers problem? Um, because we just had this happen just a year ago where we had a, 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 a first world English speaking government, um, quite, you know, I, I, as an American, I would resent being uh, called similar to Canada, but on the scale of the world, it's one of the more similar countries to mine. Right. Uh, and we had a, a government um, saying that these people um, were to be debanked. Uh, because they are uh, engaging in in protest against the government itself, right? And Bitcoin only kind of worked for these people. There was a real moment where you had people across Canada, people who had never touched cryptocurrency, who said, what the hell is that? They had money in their pocket, and they wanted to get money in the pocket, not Bitcoin, Canadian dollars. Unfortunately, you cannot like it, but they wanted Canadian dollars on the other side because that's what they have to buy and sell. You know, they're, they're, they've got to buy their bullhorns and their things for their protests, right? Um, they got to get people and, out of jail. And Jeremy, let, let's let's continue this conversation on the other side of the break. We're, we're coming up on a hard break here. This is Good Money on Money Talk 1010. We'll continue this conversation right after these commercials. Welcome back 
to Good Money. I am your host, Thoe Bishop of the Mises Institute. You can find more content like this at Mises.org. That's M-I-S-E-S.org. And if you want to have in your possession a physical copy of a great bi-monthly magazine, The Austrian, which will provide great analysis you won't get anywhere else, uh, we have a new issue coming to doors very, very soon. Some great work on um, by uh, uh, Alex Pollock on the Fed's balance sheet problems um, and some other great content in there. You can get a free subscription at Mises.org slash magazine. That's M-I-S-E-S dot org slash magazine. Be delivered directly to your doorstep. It's a great looking publication. The paper feels good, all that good stuff. We are right now joined by uh, Jeremy Kaufman, who is a great uh, follow on Twitter. Uh, Jeremy Kaufman with two Fs. And uh, we are talking about Operation Choke Point 2.0, the SEC's crackdown and, and escalation on the crypto front, his own experiences dealing with the SEC uh, with Library, um, his uh, social media pl uh, streaming platform, video platform, Odyssey, um, which the Mises Institute has used. It's a great, great platform there for uh, content that uh, not trying to play around with the, the YouTube uh, insane algorithms over there. And uh, Jeremy, I wanted to, to inform our listeners about a, a tweet from you earlier this week in the face of some of this and kind of touches on what we were talking about on the other side of the break. Um, the SEC going hard after cryptocurrency, you wrote, is a complete injustice, uh, but is arguably one of the best things to happen to cryptocurrency. We'll get to finally figure out if it actually works or not. And we talked a little bit about some of the reasons for optimism in terms of some of the different jurisdictions. Uh, we've seen even some U.S. states trying to take a more proactive view in the face of the regime. Um, you know, there's, there's always going to be a little bit of tension there when it comes to federal regulators, some of the issues that uh, some state-based projects have faced there. Um, but can we talk more about sort of the, the optimistic case for crypto in the face of increased regulatory scrutiny? You were talking right before uh, we, we, we cut out uh, about the, the Canadian trucker problem. And the way that for you know crypto to really flourish here, it can't be something that that simply you know it stays online. That it needs to be able to solve problems for individuals like those uh, protesting that needed real goods and services, um, standing up against some some really tyrannical policies that they had in Canada. Uh, so, can you talk a little bit more about uh, your, your optimistic case for crypto going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Although I'm, I'm going to actually start with just a small dose of pessimism because there the Canadian. It's this is there's a lot of people out there who are into uh, uh, Bitcoin. And look, if you own any Bitcoin, that is awesome, right? That is great. Oh, you know, almost everyone who has Bitcoin is in some way. I mean, I guess some people don't realize what they're participating in, but a lot of people do, and so they want, you know, they want they want similar things. Uh, so this comes from you know a place of love. Uh, but I get extremely frustrated because it's like the, the people seem to think, okay, we just buy Bitcoin and then we f just hold it and then something magical is going to happen. And I just want to like beat my head against the wall. I'm like, no, that's not enough. <laughs> that's not, we're not going to win that way. At least I don't think we are. Maybe there's some set of steps out there that someone has that I don't understand. Uh, but I tend to think it comes back to like, we need to be moving um, some economies, as many economies as possible into this space in a way that works for people in the real world. And with that, and that is the, the system. And then you have something that, that can suck more and more things into it, more and more uses until eventually, um, you can, can shrug that, that boulder off your shoulders. Um, um, uh, that is the, the federal reserve, but that, you know, that ha we have to go through a whole bunch of intermediary steps we're not just going to get from, oh, everyone, you know, more and more people have it and are holding it. And then magically, 
you know, things are better. I, I just don't think that's sufficient. I think we need to be using it in the real world. And I think that does involve being able to bridge easily uh, and anonymously uh, between um, fiat and digital currencies. And I think that if the if governments are successful in sort of bifurcating the systems there such that, yeah, you have a lot of freedom with your digital currencies once you're in the digital currency space, but like the government is very, very good at, you know, knowing when those um, are exchanged for one another and knowing who did it and where and when and all these things, you know, I, I, I think that's not that we would be losing out on a lot of the potential of cryptocurrency if that's all we, if that's all we achieved. Um, and so that's, I, I want to bring it. I think it's really important that we, be, that there, you know, and I think there more more work needs to be done on this other side of it. Um, but that's, that is a reason to be optimistic because this is, we always had to solve this problem, right? And Coinbase was kind of not really doing it in the first place, right? Like Coinbase is a good product. I'm pro Coinbase. I love that Coinbase exists. As I said, complete injustice, but like using Coinbase as an American is, you know, was all of that information is going to the government about all of your Bitcoin purchases in both directions, you know, whereas we want to be getting it to that, to a space where, you know, um, it's, it's much more um, not visible to the, to the state, those types of exchanges. No, I think that's that's a that's a great point there, and I, I think it's some sometimes I I, I think this this kind of tends to this the sort of larger zeitgeist of sort of financialization that has kind of preoccupied us, where you know when when for so long if the goal for having crypto was simply number go up and and get rich off of making an investment, um, you know it's kind of the same sort of mindset where if, if stocks keep going up and up and up, you know through you know the last decade with. Um, you know, kind of fueled in, in, in large part by what the Federal Reserve has been doing. And it's easy to kind of disconnect, uh, you know, your, your, your paper wealth from what really matters, which is the ability to get goods and services, the actual real economy at play here. And so being able to bridge those two ecosystems together um, is, is, is vital. You know, ultimately at the end of the day, we have money so that we can, you know, live more, you know, prosperous, more, more convenient, uh, more comfortable lives. It's not simply um, for, for the balance sheet in, in, a, in a, a disconnected sort of abstract sense um, for, you know, for your psychological well-being, though not to, not to dismiss the, the value of the psychological impact there, there either. Um, and I, I do think that one of the other interesting dynamics in this, that we've talked a little bit about the, the geopolitical tensions there, but the increased skepticism within the United States of you know, the breakdown of trust where Bitcoin as a project back in 2009, 2010, 2011 from people that already were skeptical of Wall Street, skeptical of the Fed, had a little bit of, a, of an anarchist streak to them in terms of their view on the, the nature of D.C. That has now, I think, become a lot more normalized within parts of the country that recognize that, you know, the powerful institutions that be do not have their interests at heart, you know, willing to, to you know, question uh, what the authorities are telling them about a variety of matters ranging from health to election integrity, integrity and things like that. And so, you know, that has itself sparked some different approaches at the state level and trying to do things, trying to push back on some of these these federal regulations and, and some of the, the crackdowns there. Um, you know, I, I know that you are a, a proud uh, free stater up, up in New Hampshire. Um, you know, how, how is, are you seeing, how, how does, uh, how does New Hampshire and some of the communities that you're in, um, do, do they seem up to the task in terms of trying to bridge that gap from crypto in, in the, in a, in a 
you know, financial sense to crypto in a real world services stance. Um, have, have you seen any positive trends on the ground there? Uh, absolutely. Uh, so there's a ton of support from New Hampshire uh, legislators. Um, there's a, a cryptocurrency commission that's been very um, pro crypto and the New Hampshire government even put in its study report on cryptocurrency. They wrote about my company and about how this is the kind of, so this, this is the state of New Hampshire. You're saying this is the kind of work you know, we should be um, you know, supporting. And we have the federal government, you know, coming in and crushing a, you know, New Hampshire company. And so the New Hampshire government itself actually weighed in and said that, you know, for, for whatever meager benefit the health really had. I mean, it's very nice of them to do that. I want to, uh, I really appreciated it. And, uh, the, and so you have this, and I think we are entering a sort of era of based states, as I've, I've heard it called. I think this is one of our best um, bets. I'm always someone who says, uh, you know, uh, even if you have disdain from the left, you should learn from them and, and what works. And, and they've been very good at um, nullification, actually, funnily enough. Um, like the two best examples of nullification, in my opinion, are marijuana laws uh, and sanctuary cities. Um, not uh, however you may feel about those things. And uh, they came from the left. And so now um, I think it's a really good path for the right to be trying to do the same thing at the state level. And so not just to have better state laws, but to literally nullify federal laws, to look for cases where you can say and like not. And so we're seeing it now with some nullification of federal um, gun things. But I would I think conservatives should think bigger here. And like, let's nullify the nuclear regime so that we can build a better and cheaper power plants in our state. Right. Let's nullify. Um, yeah, let's nullify securities laws so that we could build prediction markets. I mean, there's there are billion dollar markets that could be unlocked, you know, if they had a jurisdiction in which they could operate. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I, I actually am uh, giving a, a, um, um, a small talk in Porkfest on this very topic. Actually, I didn't plan to be pivoting to this, but just because uh, it's coming up. Yeah, um, uh, that, that this is uh, that this is something that states could be looking for, that there's all this untapped potential that is being crushed by the federal government, not just in blockchain, but in all kinds of markets and all kinds of places. And if there's a state that's willing to kind of say, screw you, they can open that up and, and, and tap that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting too, as, as you know, the, the broader sort of concerns about low capital or the great reset, the Davos crowd, you know, whatever the, the preferred, um, you know, focal point boogeyman of the day is at the end of the day. And this is something that I, I've told, I've spoken about in conservative circles a great deal, though, we, you know, we, we don't want to focus too, too much on politics. But if you're concerned about the agendas of the elite, however you want to define that, you know, recognizing that it is the control over money and banking that not only um, steals from you in the form of of you know, tax compliance in the form of inflation and things like that, but actively rewards these bad actors. It requires you know, the the solution to that is not simply to to ignore it, to to act like oh well this is too you know, this, this is too wonky, this is too you know you have your eyes glazed over when you talk about money. It's to get serious about the actual mechanisms used to empower these actors, and, and money and banking is you know the number one way where they don't only rob from you, but they empower and they enrich the very sort of, you know, uh, class, both at the, the banking level, the corporate level, um, you know, the spooky uh, uh, Davos crowd level, um, all of them are f financed by the financial system that we have here. And so finding a solution to this is the best way to disrupt whatever plans they have that you don't like. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my opinion, I guess, here is that it's mostly op people, bad people being opportunistic rather than a grand top-down scheme, although, of course, there is, um, I'm not saying there's none of that, uh, but, you know, I think a lot of it is uh, um, um, 
a system, you know, if you're talking about, it's a system that just allows these types of people to just glob onto it. And a lot of these people, like, yeah, they advance the woke stuff, but truthfully, they would advance, they would just say anything. They just want power and money, and they'll glob onto a system that allows them to get that, and um, and and that, you know, what they would say is, is whatever they need to say. Um, so I think there's a, a portion of that, and then there's a portion, of course, that are the true believers. You always have a mix of these. The answer is not to be depressed. It, it is to solve and innovate, and entrepreneurs like yourself are doing that. So thank you so much for your work, for your time here this morning. This is Jerry Kaufman. Thank you very much, guys. Welcome back for the final segment here on Good Money this Thursday morning in this beautiful, though hot um, morning here in the great state of Florida. Um, again, it's always a, a, a great honor to be able to uh, to share your commute um, on you on with you on Thursday mornings. And again, the main focus here on Good Money is to provide a, a different lens um, to the economic challenges that we face um and the difficulty in doing a show like this is trying to balance the concerns of the world that we have right now without giving in to sort of a a doomer pessimism um, that it is easy to get from the news cycle in a a variety of forms um you know if, if it bleeds it leads and with uh, in the financial world, there is plenty of things to, to be concerned about. Um, but it doesn't have to be this way. You know, there, there is a tremendous opportunity that we have in this country. We have incredible resources. We have incredible uh, manpower. We have an incredible uh, heritage and tradition uh, that has made the economy the envy of the world. Um, for a, a very, very long time and it's something that we should not give into. Um, the issue is, though, is that the at the mac- macro level, um, we have seen the consequences of bad economic ideas, not politics, not bad elections, not Team Red versus Team Blue, um, but issues with the fundamental viewpoints on what economics as a discipline should be, the way that an economy should be handled, should be thought of. And it is the mission of the Mises Institute to right these wrongs. Um, We do this at Mises.org on a daily basis with commentary um, looking at a variety of different things, everything from, um, you know, we've got articles right on our front page right now about um, environmental pol- uh, policies. We've got issues on the uh, trade deficits um, and the, the issues with global trade right now. Um, we have articles on the lingering consequences from the debt ceiling debates. Uh, but a, a major point of optimism is the role that entrepreneurship plays in making the world a better place. And I know many listening, um, you have small businesses, um, you have an important role to play uh, within this vibrant and growing Florida economy. And that ultimately, it's the ability to, to take, to take on first and foremost, a level of risk, 
in terms of, of creating a new venture or expanding an existing venture. It is individuals, not politicians, taking on that risk of providing new opportunities to our communities. That is what really makes civilization grow. It's what brings real prosperity to us. It is not who is an elected office X, Y, and Z. They can certainly play a role in making that easier or harder than us. Um, but it's the individuals that are willing to put in the work, put in the effort, willing to, to take on, put some skin in the game um, to, to do that. If you are interested in expanding your views on economics, I can't encourage uh, the content on Mises.org enough. Um, we have not only articles, but we've got various podcast series, including one of my own, Radio Rothbard, with our uh, chief editor at the Mises Institute, Ryan McMakin, uh, covering the, the news cycle from a variety of different perspectives, including one um, about uh, that we have coming out today on the way that statistics out there are used to portray sometimes false realities, overly negative realities, um, that they themselves have a propagandist effect um, when it comes to the way that the government tries to portray what is going on. There's a very interesting dynamic going on right now with the discrepancies between survey data when it comes to uh, jobless numbers by uh, surveys of actual American households uh, versus the reported numbers from uh, uh, the, the mainstream index that the government uses. The goal right now with the political pressures out there is to try to spin a tale that the consequences of our current policy regime, um, you know, the, the hardships you're facing when it comes to the, gro the grocery store, when it comes to um, housing markets and the like, that, you know, it's, it's kind of all in your head that, that ultimately everything is, is fine and dandy. I think we know that there are troubles out there, but there's nothing that we cannot overcome. Um, and again, particularly here in Florida, we've got some, some great opportunities with uh, fighting back against a lot of this, this federal overreach and trying to maintain an environment that brings about a, a entrepreneurial culture. Because uh, ultimately, if you do not have a culture that rewards and, and celebrates merit and achievement and production, then that is where society really falls down. Uh, so on that note, if you like content like this, please check out Mises.org, M-I-S-E-S.org. We will see you next Thursday morning for another issue of Good Morning. This has been, or Good Money. This has been Tho Bishop here on Money Talk 1010. We'll see you next week.